Well, for those who I haven't seen for a while, um, welcome back. Um, I spent my August in winter in Australia and just got back for more winter, which is great. I'm already prepared for it. I'm ready for it. And I must say something about um, South Africa and Australia. They don't get as cold, but you are colder there because the insulation is not very good in anything and so on. So actually, um, I'm glad to be back to my nice warm home where I have a thermostat and can put some heat on if I need it. So yeah, it's good to be here. And um, new people, thank you so much. Some of you may just be checking us out and looking in, and that's, that's wonderful. Um, there are many good churches in the city, and um, we want you to find the place where God wants you to be, and if it's here, we're very happy to have you, so thank you so much. So we're going to start on a little bit of journey uh, over the next while. I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, we're going to look at... Um, a few things. We're going to look at who we are as a church and what we believe, our visions, our values, and our statement of faith, because it's important if you come to a church, you know exactly why and what we believe. And so today I'm going to speak briefly on our vision, our God-given dream. And uh, it's just one sentence, uh, and sounds pretty simple, but it's amazingly profound, and that is... um, is that is to know Jesus and to make him known. As simple as that, but as profound as, as it is. And as I've, uh, as I've been um, preparing for this message, um, it's been quite overwhelming because how do you um, represent Jesus and all who he is in, in a half an hour preach? But that's not the point. I want to encourage you to go on a fresh journey on getting to know Jesus You see, it's the Jesus that we know ourselves that we make known. That's the Jesus that we can give. We cannot give what we can't give. And so I'm just encourage you to go through the Gospels and look at them uh, from a different point of view, maybe how Jesus operated, what he did, and so on. You see, vision is very important and um, because when we feel like perishing, it's our vision and our dream that keeps us going. And we see that in Proverbs 29, 18, where, where there's no vision, people perish. And so we are a church that wants to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that the only way that we're going to run this race and finish this race is to run it by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's not only the author but the perfecter of our faith. And um, so we're going to look at a few things about um, uh, Jesus today, a few things, and, um, and hopefully it will just um, give you um, a bit of a, 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 a heart to search more for yourselves. You see, the sad reality is that many, and in fact, I don't know if anyone in the world outside um, uh, would not have heard the name of Jesus But not many really know him. They know of him, but really know him. It's like me saying, I I know know Joseph, and um, yeah, he's a good friend of mine, and all of that. So somebody says, well, tell me about him. Well, I don't actually know him, but I know him. You know what I mean? And that's not the relationship that Jesus wants. Jesus wants a relationship of intimacy with us. And um, in Matthew 16, 13 
to 18, Jesus asks his disciples uh, more than likely the most important question that he ever asked anybody. Uh, He asked them two questions. And the first question he asked was, who do people say that I am? Interesting how the disciples answered this because it's very similar today. Said some, uh, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them the question and this is, he personalized it and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter has this revelation And he says, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, flesh and blood, uh, blessed are you, son son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, are this rock, and I will build my church on which I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Some people... um, took that to believe that Peter is actually the rock. Peter's name, Petros, means little rock, but he says, Jesus is, what he's actually saying here, not Peter, we're going to build on you, but on the revelation that you had, that I'm the Messiah. And that's what we build on. You see, the reality is many have an opinion of who Jesus is. Some acknowledge Jesus as a a prophet, a holy man, a little G God of many gods, but they miss what makes Jesus different to all other faiths. In fact, he not only died on a cross, but on the third day, he rose from the dead. And Paul, having been changed from a skeptic to a believer through a supernatural encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter nine, on his way to persecute Christians, he meets the resurrected Christ. And he speaks of the resurrection in the context of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1 to 22. We're going to read this, this whole passage because this is one of the keys to understanding who Christ is. And he starts with this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand By this gospel you are saved. By no other gospel, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Imagine going through our whole lives believing in vain when it's so simple to see what Jesus Christ came to do and and lived and died for. And today we're going to unpack that a bit more. He says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Here is the gospel in the nutshell, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. When he rose from the dead, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. And if we look at the scripture, as Paul says, well, many of them are still alive. Not one came and said or refuted that that was the truth. 
Then he appeared to James, and then the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love this passage. <laughs> Underline it in your Bible. And his grace was not without effect. Now I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. But if we preached Christ that has been raised from the dead, how can say, some say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no res- resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, uh, we are of all people most, we of our old people most to be um, pitied. But Christ has indeed been risen, raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ first, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. The point Paul is trying to make here, is making, is why would us as the apostles allow ourselves to be persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, and martyred, uh, and martyred for a lie? What would they gain from that? And to quote 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen again, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In the Gospel of John, I'm going through quite a few little things here, and I'm hoping that you'll go and meditate on them. And he says, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is introduced as both the Word of God and the Son of God. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Many will say, well, who was the Word? I'm glad you asked, because in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, the New Testament refers to Jesus as God the Son, as John has just done now, over 74 times. In Hebrews chapter 1, 3, for example, speaking of who Jesus is, this is what the writer writes. Most incredible, incredible um, passage of Scripture. Speaking of Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is the Jesus 
that we serve. He sustains all things. He sustains you. He sustains me. He's, by his word, the universe was created, the word of God. Not one planet is out of place. He is there. He is on the throne. He is seated on the throne, high and exalted. He is not on the throne, biting his nails, wondering what's going to happen next. He knows, and he's coming back for us. He died for us so that we could have eternal life with him and the Father. And he also refers to Jesus as the Son of Man, the Bible, the Son of God. You can go and study that, and the Son of Man. He refers to Jesus as the Son of, the Bible refers to Jesus as the Son of Man 81 times in the New Testament. You see, the Son of uh, God speaks of his divinity, and the Son of Man speaks of his humanity. And speaking of his humanity, Paul writes this in incredible passage in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5 to 8. Some uh, scholars will say this is the oldest passage of uh, New Testament scripture because it was actually a hymn that was sung in the churches and Paul put it in his writings. And he says this, speaking of Jesus Christ and us and this divine partnership that he has with us. Speaking of us in the NIV, it says your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. Now, some of the um, new um, translations of the NIV have changed. I, some of these words, I actually used the 1984 NIV, which is uh, one of the, the ones that I still understand because they've changed so many of the words in the new one. But it says your attitude should be the same. And I love that word because... Um, we can all control our attitude. We can't control circumstance. But we can control how we handle them. And I love that. And I love to hear that again and again. But it goes here, speaking of Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I cannot um, imagine the humility of God. That God, the creator of the universe, would be conformed to the likeness of man. God the Son became God the man. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself. I want to read it again. And became obedient unto death, even unto even on, to death on the cross. And as a result of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth or under the earth. The amazing thing is, every person, whether they deny Christ or not, will eventually acknowledge who Jesus is. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's an amazing thing that God confined himself to a virgin's womb for nine months. Can you imagine that? God. I think that's the most humbling thing he did. He actually 
went through the whole process of birth. He walked amongst us. God walked amongst us. God breathed, breathing, speaking, laughing, weeping, suffering and dying. Jesus showed us what we as human beings are meant to be like. He showed us the way. He showed us what it was like before the fall of Adam. And as the second Adam, he came to restore that was broken and, and restore that, was, that was, was stolen. He lived a life of generosity and joy. Jesus, the Son of Man. He taught, he healed, he prayed. He's told us to do all of these things in his name. He did not compromise his message. Jesus' message was a tough one. Jesus grew the church to 5,000, and when in one more message, he grew it back to 12. He did not compromise what he believed for the sake of culture. He challenged us to live by God's standards. He showed us what kind of relationship we were meant to have with God the Father. He loved unconditionally. He laid down his life and took upon himself the sin of the world. This is the Jesus we serve. You see, as the son of God, this is one of the shortest messages you'll hear from me because I wouldn't know where to start and where to end. (laughs) Speaking of Jesus, I had this picture of me of trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon. It's like that. But I just wanted to sow some seeds. See, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, the most theologically sound church in, uh, of, the, of the early churches. He commends them for all the things they did well. Their doctrine was good. They worked hard. They, they persevered under great trial. They, they were able to discern false apostles. But Jesus says this, I have against you. You've lost your first love. And he simply asked them, you see, Jesus, I don't believe, was ever angry with people. He was direct with them. And he simply asked them to remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember. Remember where you were. Remember that love you had when you first met me. Remember the love you had when this church of Ephesus was born, birthed, and, and the joy and the love. Now, I don't know, 10, 20 years, 30, 40 years later, it'd be gone from relationship to ritual. That's what he was talking about. He said, I don't want ritual. I want relationship. I'm a lover, and I love you, and I want you to love me. And all he asked them to do is repent and do the things they did at last. And repentance is simply like this. And this is what happens. We walk in our walk and we bumped off by life, by circumstance. We get offended and we take on offense and we, and, and, uh, we have unforgiveness 
and all of these things. And slowly but surely what happens, it dries up the life as our heart becomes more stony and stony. And it happens to all of us and it happens without sometimes us even knowing it. But that's not what Jesus uh, intended. He says, I want you to forgive as I forgave you. And I cannot imagine where I'd be if Jesus didn't forgive me. And just turn to your first love. You see, what happens is we walk along, leading a church with all the things, or it doesn't matter what you do, and something knocks us off one degree, and something knocks us off another degree. And still, instead of coming back, because repentance is simply this, we, we start going in the wrong direction, we're walking away from God, and we turn around, metanoia, and we turn and we come back to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Just do the things you did at first. And you know, if we're off track one or two degrees, it might not seem much for the first year, second year, fourth year, fifth year, but if you keep on walking one degree off, Ask any builder, the further you go, the bigger the gap. And I believe God for me too is just in this says, just reminding me what this is all about. Reminding me it's all about him. That he's my joy. That he's my passion. That he's the one I serve. And he's the one I represent. You see people, why Jesus is so concerned about this is that He is the head and we are the body. And so people that don't know Jesus learn about Jesus through us and through the church. And God is simply just wanting us to represent him well. You see, he came to reveal who God is. He said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to reveal how God intended us to to live and to love, to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, a life that would cause people to want to glorify God. And he paid the ultimate price for our sin so that our relationship destroyed by sin could be restored in and through Jesus Christ. This little message, I've spent more than likely more hours than most I've ever done, not on the message, but on this searching my heart afresh. Falling back in love with God. Fixing my eyes on Him. Opening my hand. And giving Him all my stuff. Because He's already paid for it. I, I, I really believe that Jesus wants to do that today and we're going to worship some more. But he came to Saul. Um, Paul said he has a trustworthy saving, a saying that Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And I think many of us <laughs> feel that sometimes. But Christ came to save. That's the point. Christ came to set us free. Christ is reminding us of who he is, the son of man. And as us, his body, that we represent him in word and deed.
And so I want to say this to you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you unconditionally. That God loves you as much as Jesus did. We're going to read that right now. And I'm going to share the gospel from the Word of God. And, and if you'd like to know more about Jesus, but if like me, you need to just do a little bit of turning around, this is a good time to do it. You know, it's like a weight when you, you take those weights off. He's not angry. He's got a big smile. He says, why the heck are you carrying that? I see, he says, I will carry your burdens if you give them to me. I will carry and deal with those things if you give them to me. But somehow I get this knapsack on my back and I stuff it with all stuff. And it weighs me down and it weighs me down and it weighs me down. And I can no run, longer run my race. I'm just overwhelmed. And then he says, just give me that whole bag. I've already paid the price. I don't have to pay it again. It's finished. And I think Jesus wants to do that today. Remind us of our love for him and his love for us. And in John 3.16, I'm going to read um, a few more verses than 3.16. We see a love letter from God. God the Father who gave his only son and that Jesus, God the Son who was obedient even unto death. We'll read it. But I could never imagine, I could never imagine handing over my son to be persecuted and crucified. I think it would be harder for me to do that with my son than it would be for me to do it myself. I just think, I've never experienced that obviously. But that's how much God loved us. Interesting in the garden when Adam sinned and Eve and they went and hid and God came into the garden and he said, his cry, Adam, Adam, where are you? It's always been his cry. Where are you? But he had a plan, and that plan was to restore that relationship through Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this love letter from God. For God so loved the world, he so loved you and I, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn anyone. He sent Jesus to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God wants to break condemnation of our lives, over people. 
When condemnation comes and you're a born-again believer, it's from the pit of hell. When trash-talking comes, it's from the pit of hell. You will know clearly the voice of God in these two things. When you mess up and when you sin, and we all have sinned and we all do and fall short of God's, God's glory, the loud voice is the trash talking voice that says, you are useless. You have done it again. You are this, you are this, this, this. How can you do this? And, and so on. And, and, and we get afraid to come into the presence of God. But Jesus says, not guilty, not guilty. The voice of God says, come unto me. You are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. What are we heavily laden with? Could be physical stuff, but it's all the baggage, all the stuff, all the fears, all the hurts, all the condemnation that God has already set us free from. And whom the Son sets free, the Word says, is free indeed. So I pray today that you, even if you're saved and, and you feel condemnation, The thing with sin is this, church. Sin has consequence. And we mix up consequence with punishment. Now, if I go and steal something or rob a bank, and I go before the judge and I say, sorry, judge, I shouldn't have done this. He said, well, I'm glad you're sorry, but the consequences, you're going to have to do the time. And so there's a reaping and sowing. It's not God's anger. But Hebrews 12 says that he disciplines those he loves. And discipline is not punishment. Punishment is when, when he closes the door. When, when they reach at the end of the age. Not for everybody, but for some. You see, discipline is always redemptive. That's why we should discipline our kids. Teach them and train them boundaries. Teach them these things. For, because we do it for their good. If we punish our kids, that's a different story. But discipline and consequence is part of the discipline of God. Part of him teaching us because no consequence, we see what happens in the world with no consequence when people can get out of jail for murder after two years. It only goes downhill from there. And so he does discipline us, but he never condemns us. Amen? This is, okay, okay, for... Let me just, whoever does not believe him stands condemned, but already, because he did not believe in the name of God's one only Son. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because of the deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth And who's the truth? Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light that it may be seen plainly 
that what has, what has done has been done through God. What has been done has been done through God. And if we could bow our heads for a moment. And if I could have the worship team. I just love the songs we sung. All of them were Christocentric songs. It's absolutely... I love to come to church and not focus on me. Lord, bless me, heal me. Because when I focus on Jesus, it's a whole different level. And so we're going to do that. And, and I want to say this. If you have, do not have never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to say he's waiting for you right now. He loves you. And the word of God says, if you um, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart um, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you ask him to forgive you, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So whether you're saved or unsaved. You see, God has paid the price for our sins once and for all and he has forgiven our sins past, present and future. So forgiveness is not for God. Asking for forgiveness is not for God's benefit. It's for ours. So that we can be cleansed from a guilty conscience. Because when we ask him for forgiveness, actually he says, I've already forgiven you, but thank you for asking. Just spend a little bit of time. We could just have um, the music just for just a moment and we're going to worship. And have a conversation with God. you're walking through fires Jesus says fear not for I am with you and you know actually he says I called you by name you are not here by accident and he says when we walk through the fires we will not get burned might get singed might get overwhelmed sometimes and the floods will not overtake us So just enter that place of rest. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come, that your anointing comes right now. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, reveal your love to those who are searching. That God-shaped vacuum in their hearts, only you can fill No other stuff will fill it. So I pray, Lord, that as people acknowledge you as Lord and ask you for forgiveness and and ask you into their lives, Lord God, that they will know that they have become a part of the best family in the world. For the ones with dealing with stuff, Lord, and hurt and unforgiveness some of it is beyond even imagination some of it is hurt deeply 
And God said, I paid for the price for that. Give it to me. I want to wash you clean. I want to soften your heart. Come Holy Spirit. And Lord, where I've become like the, that amazing church of Ephesus that I absolutely so respect and enjoy reading about. Where my heart has gone cold because of circumstance or life, Lord. Create in me a pure heart, Lord. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. Holy Spirit, rain down. DJ, if we can just start singing. Rain down, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. One Sing this. Singing about Jesus. His face.